midwife with Holistic Heritage Home Birth. Hi, I'm Jay Lynn, the other half of Holistic Heritage Home Birth. There's actually three midwives now. Um, we also have Shauna. Being a third sounds less She's important. She's a third. <laughs> I don't like to say I'm one third of it. I'm going to still stick with one half. We've hired our first midwife, so that's exciting. It is exciting. We're growing in the community. So that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Um, my hair's not too bad today. Oh, wait. Oh, don't do it that way. Look at that. What's sticking up? I just don't even look at it. Just don't even look at yourself. Okay. Because I'm wearing a bra today. I'm purposely choosing not to look down, but you know those bras that like... Do you not normally wear a bra? They, I, I, it would be rough, y'all, if I did not. <laughs> it would be like they have a mind of their own. One would be here. Well, because you said I'm wearing a bra today. Well, a specific <laughs> one. And then my nipples don't point the same. Like they each just decide what they're going to do <laughs> at random times in the day. So one will be this like just... They're like the crazy-eyed cousins that you have. <laughs> I got crazy-eyed cousin boobs. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> oh, my bra. <laughs> no, it's the kind that has like the like a little space right there. So uh, it's popping out, and it's doing this, and it's... Yeah, I don't like that. Mm. And I hate underwire. I don't wear any underwire. Oh, you don't? No. Oh, no. Sister's got to have an underwire. No. It is right. And I know it's not right. Re- Underwires aren't actually recommended for us, but y'all, it may be like Friday going to nail. It would just be hopeless. No, no underwire. No. It's barely a bra. I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous. But I have H cups. My, I have to wear a minimizer that like smashes them down or they'd be, when I take my bra off, it is. <laughs> It's a lot to manage. Anyway, <laughs> we digress. Today we digress. we're talking about VBACs. We're talking about not just VBACs, but how do you obtain your goal of having that vaginal birth after a cesarean? Um, and I think we're going to circle back around it, but really the ultimate um, decider of that is really you. Yep. Um, so, and the team that you pick to support you. Yeah, and I've been um, obsessed with podcasts. I always thought they were geeky, nerdy, but I'm in the car so much, like especially driving to births, I've found a couple podcasts I really, really like. And I was listening to one the other day. Oh, I wish I knew the name of it because I'd give it a shout out, but I don't. I'll put it in the comments. Um, but she's really entertaining, and it's actually two women. One of them is a midwife, and one of them is a hypnobirth instructor. And they come at every topic they talk about from different perspectives. Um and it's really cool. And at the beginning, they always interview people. And then they take those interviews to come up with the content. It's a good podcast. Anyhow, they were talking about VBACs. And um, it stuck out to me because they gave this statistic. Because even as a midwife, I had never heard this statistic before. And I was a little bit shocked because there's this um, false information out there that VBACs are not typically successful. And it's just not true. We see that in our own practice, mm-hmm. um, and really with midwives across the board, we have really high success rates for VBACs because of patience. Patience is in we let time do what it's going to do, um, not patients like clients. Uh, but the, the other thing that shocked me was that when attempted VBACs, even in hospital settings or birth center settings, we're also seeing really good success rates. Right. The statistics that makes it sad is how many are actually trying to attempt. So only 13% of um, 
people who've had a past surgical birth are attempting a vaginal birth after the initial C-section. Um, but then, Which is a crime. It's a crime. Only 13. That means 87% of people are just going in and having their second C-section. And we don't know why. There's all kinds of reasons. When I hear those numbers, um, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the United States has one of the worst um, maternal morbidity outcomes in the world of all developed countries. So we're not doing too great in that department. And then when I think of 87% of people who've had a surgical birth are choosing to have another surgical birth, um, that tells me that's one of the reasons why our outcomes are so bad. Because I don't know if you guys know this, but like four out of every 100,000 surgical births, four women die. Which you think, oh, that's not a lot. But it kind of is if you add it on to all the other complications that you're going. If you hadn't had that surgical birth to begin with, or if you continue, if you continue to have a surgical birth, then those risks go up for the mother. Right, right. Um. Which would explain our poor outcomes. It does. It, it explains a lot of, of why we're having poor outcomes because that trickles down into so much more. Right. Uh, even with the baby, with breastfeeding, with postpartum depression. So much. So much. Um, but of the 13% who are attempting, no matter the setting, because midwives, hospital, everybody's lumped into one statistic, up to 80%, depending on what state you're looking at, 80% of VBAC attempts are successful. That is amazing. Yeah. And most midwives are above 90%. I think Yeah. I think we have like 97% success in our yeah. VBACs. Yeah. You yeah. guys can do it. The statistics prove it. The evidence shows it. Your bodies were made to vaginally birth your baby. Um, but all that being said, there is still that little percentage of people that don't. And that's why we're grateful for C-sections when we need them. The bigger bulk that I want to be talking to now is the 87% of people who don't feel like they can try or they feel like they shouldn't try or can't try because they can't find a provider. Or they feel like they don't have a choice. They were told once a C-section, always a C-section. So they haven't even looked into their options. They just totally took that at face value. Mm -hmm. Um, even though American College of Obstetrician and Gynecologists all recommend, they recommend VBACs. All your medical, your AMA recommends VBACs. Every major medical organization out there recommends for you to have a vaginal birth after cesarean. Um, but that's not what's happening. No, it's not. Even though uh, it's recommended. So here's here's the information that you need to know what's going to set you up for success. And it's not one thing. Um, it's actually three things that I think that make the wheel. If you don't have one of these three things, you're going to have a spoke that sticks out and you're going to have a wonky wheel and you're not going to be able to ride your V-back bicycle. So you need all three things to make this perfect wheel for it to work. The first one is education. It is out there. And really good education, like we're talking about, where you can find these statistics and you can find information about what to do and not to do to set yourself up. It is there. VBACFacts.com is beautiful. ICANN, International uh, Cesarean. What does that stand for? Um, something Network. ICANN. I I-C-A-N. There's groups on social media and they have a website too, but mm -hmm. ICANN um, has 
probably in every major city has an organization. So seek that out. And then really good, empowering birth stories from other people who have VVAT. That's a good way to get educated. Don't listen to the fear. Don't listen to the people who are telling you nonsense. Um, so education. If you feel like you have the information, now you're like G.I. Joe, the more you know, the better you do. Um, and the better choices you can make. And you have the ammunition that when somebody comes to you, your provider comes to you with a, oh, this is the chance of a rupture. This is what's going to be. You can come back with an educated answer to, no, I don't choose that. And no, I don't want to do that. This is why. And then you have less of a battle to, to face because it is a little bit of a battle to fight for it what is. you want. Um, so that's the first one. The second one is choosing your provider. <laughs> so hugely important. And I see all the time online when I'm in the Facebook, uh, in the Facebook, in the Facebook. You know what I should have called the Facebook first. Yes, it was. <laughs> I saw the movie. Um, but when you're looking on Facebook, I see people all the time looking for VBAC friendly doctors, um, at least in our area. Not very many, to be honest with you. Oh, I'm your huckleberry. So picking your provider is super important. And you don't want a VBAC tolerant kind of friendly doctor. Because then you get the whole switcheroo. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, we do VBACs. And you get to be 32 weeks. And they say, but in your case, no, we can't do it. And then they kind of switch on you. You really want to interview these doctors, midwives, um, and find out what are your statistics, what are your success rate, and how many are you actually doing? Um, because you don't want someone that's just going to give you the switch around at the very last minute, which is what we hear about a lot. We do hear about a lot. And the uh, hospital. In the hospital, right? If your doctor's not on call. Right. If your hospital's not on call, if your hospital, if your doctor's not going to be on call and someone else is covering that's not VBAC friendly, then you're going to have a hard time getting that VBAC. So um, I say a hard time because no one can do surgery on you without you giving permission. Um, you have to give permission. They can't just cut you open without your permission. So um, hard road to hoe, saying no to all that pressure. But... Um, so that's one thing, your provider. So interview your midwives, physicians, home birth, birth centers. You can get VBACs in any setting. Um, you just got to pick it. That's right. And be confident. Absolutely. And that's the third part. You, being confident. You have to want it. Yes. You have to want it. Because really, any healthcare decision. In America, we very much just hand over the reins of our healthcare to somebody else. And in this situation, you really have to take ownership. you got to own the risk, you have to own the benefit, and you have to own your decision um, and want it really bad. Because I feel like when I hear stories of the um, first surgical birth, oftentimes it's in a situation where the family didn't know anything. So they just went along, went along, went along, went along. And all these interventions led up to this cesarean that may have been prevented. Um, so we kind of gave trust, 100% trust in the medical management care. And then we were failed a little bit by that same care. So it's really up to us to take ownership of our health care and decisions and be responsible for those decisions. Um, I understand why the cesarean rate's kind of high. 
I don't love it, but I understand it when they're the one when physicians are the ones that are being held at 100 percent responsible. They know that if they do a C-section, then they've done everything they can to save mom and baby in their eyes and they get sued less and they get they get even if they are getting sued, they're not getting charged or they're not held liable in that way because they've done everything. Um, But thank God they saved everyone. Yeah. But they are being held 100% responsible at the same time. So they feel like they should be able to make the decision if they're going to be held responsible. And I kind of get that. I get it too because insurance is not our favorite. Yeah. Um, Other things, those are the main things, but other little tidbits of things that can really help your success. Um, Allow spontaneous labor. And that doesn't just go with the VBAC. That goes with labor across the board. Just allow your body to do what it's meant to to be. To do. Yes. Um, if we start mucking with, with this natural process of perfection with induction and augmentation and what can we do and what can we do and what can we do and castor oil and all this stuff, you've now made an intervention that's going to make a cascade of other little tiny interventions. And the best bet for a successful vaginal birth is to leave everything alone. And that's even natural induction. The only natural induction we really approve of is sex. Oh, because I approve of that all the time. <laughs> do it, do it. But um, otherwise, even even your castor oil, it's not like we've never done it before, um, but that's in partnership with you saying, you're like, I'm doing this. So I have had clients say, I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't really think you should. I think it's okay not to. I don't care. I'm doing it. Okay, okay, you do you, <laughs> but that's also taking responsibility, right? Right, <laughs> so, um, but really do nothing and let your labor start on its own, yeah. I that's totally our recommendation agree. almost almost all the time, unless there's a medical reason, which is very rare to have a medical reason for induction. Um, another thing is you've had a vaginal birth after cesarean before, so you had a surgical birth and you've had a vaginal birth you're much more likely to be successful in more vaginal births. Yeah. Um, So if you've already had a vaginal birth after cesarean, you're a great candidate to do it again. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. Um, Oh, and I want to talk about this. So those are the things to kind of set you up for success. But this was in that podcast, and I thought, oh, which I know these things, but I'm also guilty of this, and I'm just going to tell it to you because I'm not making any sense. So there's actually a less than 1% chance a 1% difference in the chance of a first-time mom rupturing and a VBAC rupturing. There is, and people aren't told that. We never talk to anybody who's pregnant has a risk of rupturing. Did you know that? Anybody. And the difference between anybody and a VBAC is less than 1%. Yeah, I think anybody it's like 0.04%, and then for a VBAC first time it's 0.8%. 0.08%. So they say it doubles, mm-hmm. but relative risk is still pretty low. But we don't talk to moms about that. Oh, you have a chance of rupture. So everyone has a chance of rupture, and your chance of rupture with the VBAC is incrementally more. Right. You should know that, but it's not that much more. And I was really surprised. I was at, that was at VBACFacts.com that I read this statistic that after two cesareans, so you're at I think I said 0.4 or 0.04%. I have to go back and read it again. For if you've never had a baby. And then it's to 0.8% rupture if you've had one cesarean. And it's only like 1.2% if you've had two VBACs. Two, if you've had two cesareans. 
It's still worth it. Go for that vaginal birth. Yeah. That means 99% that you won't. Um, and other things that I, I, we, we don't talk about and we don't put the scare out to people. And these are at a greater risk than a rupture for a VBAC are things like an abruption. We never scare people about an abruption and that's more likely than a uterine rupture, a shoulder dystocia. People don't scare everybody about most people never even heard of a shoulder dystocia. No, but they get scared. They get um, your physician starts scaring you about having a big baby. And that's one of the things they're talking about. Oh, you don't want to have a big baby. You could, you could, you could die. Right. Your baby could die, but they don't tell you why. But people are more afraid of the VBAC than they are of these things. And these right. things happen more often. And the, sure. the other one is um, a cord prolapse. Yeah. It, that happens more than a uterine rupture. And I've seen one cord prolapse my whole entire career. Yeah, I don't think I've seen any. It was in the hospital, one. Um, the number one reason for a C-section in America is failure to progress. Right? So... Bullshit. It's bullshit. And, <laughs> and I even hate the term that they use. It's putting all of the blame on the birther when the blame is really typically provider motivated. It's yeah. uh, not lack of, you know, progress. It's really lack of patience. Absolutely. And sometimes there's a lack of progress for really good reasons. Not because your body wasn't capable, but maybe your baby was in a funky position they couldn't get out of. Or maybe you're just so scared in the hospital. And the more scared we are in the hospital environment, the slower the progress is. So you have to be a lot more patient. If you're feeling really tense and not safe in your environment, then you're not going to progress very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not your fault. You're just not feeling safe. So your body's like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Literally. Wait, 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 wait. Not ready. Not ready. <laughs> well, it's like sitting at, not that Bertha is anything like taking a deuce, but it's like sitting in the middle of a room, being super vulnerable and naked and pooping. It's hard to let everything relax and do these intimate things in front of people that are also a little uncomfortable, a little scary in an environment you're not used to with beeps and bells and lights. Or having sex, having sex in front of all those people, or pooping in front of all those people. Right. You're really, you're really being asked to kind of do like perform, perform both of these. Thi- I mean, it's hard. It it's is. really hard. I say that all the time, Clean. A failure to be patient. It's not progress. Um, I think hypnobirthing calls it. Oh, well, not hypnobirthing, but um, Grantly Dick Reed calls it uh, fear, pain, tension syndrome. So. Um, Another thing, um, there are clues. There are clues to having a rupture that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. There's an approach to um, to manage manage the risk of VBAC. So we're doing that all through the pregnancy and during labor. And then there are a few little pink flags that we're looking for. We're not just throwing it up in the air and going do it. You know, there are things that we're looking for. like an increased pulse or we've been trucking along and all of a sudden we're not trucking along. Um, there are some little little pink flags that we're watching for. Right. So if you're having a baby out of hospital, birth centers or home birth, then your midwives are going to be checking your pulse more often. They're listening to how baby goes. And we're really watching that labor pattern. Are we just clicking along and everything's like a normal labor? Or are we having a funky labor? So a funky labor is like, well, you're 
having surges every four to five minutes and then all of a sudden they're every 20 minutes every 30 minutes and then they go back to four to five minutes and then they're every 20 every 30 minutes or it stops all together mm-hmm. um that's a funky labor and if you're not having a v-back we're like okay baby needs to get in a good position and we're still feeling that way with a v-back but we're a little bit more cautious because that puts a little bit more stress on the um, scar area yep yep yep, yep. um so who's a good candidate Almost everybody. Yes. Almost every. That's the answer. Almost everybody. There are only a few absolute exclusions. And typically we don't see those things anymore. Back in the 60s when they were doing surgical birth with um, the classical incision where it goes up. I just look like a priest. Um, When they do the classical incision that's up and down instead of like a bikini line transverse. And here's another trick too. Um, just because the outside scar looks one way, you don't know what the uterine scar looks like. And that's why your provider asked for an operator report. We really have to know what the internal um, cut was like. Or they would do a T incision. And those were common back in the 60s. It's not so common anymore. People are really doing it the way they're supposed to. But when I looked at, there's a book out there called Optimal Birth. Um, which is amazing. And they really talk about those different scars, the T-scar, the vertical scars. Um, And even statistically speaking, um, those authors, and they've really pulled the research together, still recommend a vaginal birth. Um, Those scars were breaking open when we were doing cytotech inductions on VBACs, right? So even in those, even though it's supposed to be more dangerous and they do have a little bit higher rupture rate, it's still safer than multiple surgeries. Yeah. But you're not going to find an obstetrician no. that is going to do it with the no. with those kind of scars. You might have a hard time finding anyone's because even though I've read that number, right, and I feel like, yeah, you should be, you should be able to do that, we could lose our license. We would. We would lose, we our, would license. lose our license. Um, and that wouldn't be helpful. The other thing I read, and um, people don't always consider this, a, a VBAC doesn't necessarily have to be like a vaginal birth after cesarean, but you also need to look at any uterine scar you've had from any uterine surgery. So a lot of times back in the day when people were getting maybe like fibroids removed, they would do, um, they didn't think about the fact that maybe that person wanted to birth later and right. they would do that T incision to remove fibroids. So if you've had fibroids removed, you want would want to have an operative report to to know your to know your risks, right? Um, and if you're in the Houston area, probably one of the best hospitals to get a V back. It's probably Ben Todd. Um, I don't love hospitals, y'all, but you know they're doing a lot of them there, so that's mm-hmm. nice. And they're doing breaches there, so that's kind of nice. Um, but the main thing is you. You have to be confident in yourself and your abilities, and stand your ground. Nobody can cut you unless you give them permission. But they're going to come at you hard. Yeah. They're going to make you feel like you're making terrible choices. And mm-hmm. now you just go, oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That. But you have to know, you have to totally take responsibility. I always advise people just to say, okay, I hear you. I understand what you're saying. This is what you're saying, A, B, and C. I accept those risks. I'm going to decline that surgery. But thanks. But thanks. So you're not being argumentative. You're demonstrating knowledge, demonstrating that you're taking that responsibility. And then they can't do anything about it. They can't do it unless you give them permission. Yep. 
So anything, not just the surgery, anything. So that comes down to you knowing your body, knowing the facts, knowing the risks, and you taking on those risks. Yeah. Um, other things would be uh, a prior rupture. You wouldn't want to have a another VBAC if you had if you'd already had some ruptures. Sure. Um, an accreta, and that's when the placenta kind of grows into the uterus. Um, mm -hmm. It decides to weave into the linings of the uterus instead of just being attached. It's really attached. And also a transverse lie. Those are all the ones that on the ACOG website, these are contraindications. Contraindicated. So that means the baby's laying transverse. If the baby's not head down, then it'd be hard. I don't know that they recommend it for breaches either, VBACs. No, they you know, don't. I'm a little cranky about but, that. But the VBAC um, facts said it was, you know, depending on who you look at, yeah. whose website you're looking at um, will be a different recommendation. Um, other things, this is, this is one of those things, depending on where you look, you want your previous birth, your previous C-section to have at least 18 to 24 months. Some websites and, and organizations say 18 months. Other ones are pushing for it to be 24 months between um, surgery and birth. They do recommend that. I don't know that I agree. I, don't, I mean, we've seen <laughs> success with it less than that, but the most success yeah. they're saying is if your body's had a little bit of time for that scar to heal. And that makes sense. Give it some time. So if you've had that surgical birth and you think you want to be back, then really plan that next birth. Don't get pregnant three months later. Give your body time to heal. Yeah. Um, it took nine months for your body to get in shape. You should at least wait nine months for you to get pregnant again anyways. Yeah. No matter what the situation is. That doesn't always happen, though. And it gives you time to love you, baby. No, it doesn't yeah. always happen. <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, other thing, like, first of all, I just want to push pause and say we live in a culture where it is so emphasized that every decision you make, <clears throat> you're, you're putting your baby in harm's way. So the decisions we're making are really difficult ones because, first off, we don't want to feel like that. Right. We love our baby so much. We love ourselves. We don't want to put anybody at risk. So when it's presented in such a way that this isn't safe, your baby can die, that is not informed consent. Informed consent is knowing the risks, not just your baby's going to die if you do this. That's not fair, but that's the culture we live in. I actually um, heard on one of the podcasts I listened to that there's a doctor that everybody that's going to do a VBAC, he has a video of a woman who's rupturing, whose baby died, and, and they make every client watch that video to sign the paper that they want to be back. That's not right. That's that's scare tactic. That's not fair. Um, and it's really unethical, actually. That's pretty unethical. But that's what they do. Yep. Um, they really overemphasize the risk. To baby. To baby, to mom. And then they underemphasize the benefits. Right. And I feel like they don't emphasize the risk to the mother at all. Because with each new surgery, if you're only going to have two babies and that's all you're going to have in your whole life, then, you know, your risks aren't huge, right? But if you want more babies, each surgery is a higher risk to the mother. So of losing your uterus, of bleeding to death, it's huge. So it makes a difference if you want more than one or two children, those surgeries. Yeah. It's huge. And there's people that want large families and, you know, getting four, five, six surgeries, it's so dangerous. 
to the mom. Yeah, really it's dangerous. It's a lot. Um, when you look at uterine rupture, um, it doesn't happen very often. So what? That was 0.4%, right? Or 0.04%? No, 0.8%, right? I don't remember what you said. Um, then out of that 0.8%, 6%, you do have fetal death, right? The baby's going to die. But 94% of the time, the baby's fine. So... Um, and that's in all settings. That's, that's in that all settings. That statistic is for all settings. Right. So um, I think you had to weigh all of that with the mom's health, too. Yeah. I mean, and the benefits of vaginal birth. You have yes. to listen to the benefits, like skin to skin, better breastfeeding outcomes, better gut biome for baby, um, easier healing, less hospital stay, um, the cost of healthcare on a whole, if we're looking at it at, it, uh, at a national crisis. Um, Postpartum depression, you have decrease in postpartum depression. I mean, so much, the body was really meant to have a vaginal birth. So when we take away the natural process, we're going to lose some of the benefits from the natural process. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, what else can we talk about? Oh, I did want to talk about the emotional part. You know, we're holistic heritage. So we've mostly been talking about um, physical things, but we have to push pause and think about the emotional parts of it. And uh, one of the interviews that I heard over and over again were women who thought that this one birth was going to replace the other birth. So they had trauma from the first birth. Mm-hmm. Um, the first sister and they had, they had some trauma from it. And although their VBAC was very empowering, it didn't replace the other birth. So I just want to put that out as just a, a little pearl of wisdom. You have to process the first trauma. The second one is not going to process the, the first trauma. Well, I think sometimes it's sold as a redemptive birth. We're going to have a redemptive birth. And it's redemptive in ways that you feel empowered as a woman that you were able to do this when you were told before that you couldn't. So in that way, but it doesn't really negate what happened right. the first time. The empowerment does not re- replace the grief. Right. Right. It's not a, a one for one. Um that's all I got, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big, complex decision. It's a lot and lots of moving parts. But if you want it, go after it. We support you. Um, yeah. yeah, and there is support out there. You just have to find it. And on the other side of that, um, it's not a hundred percent. So I feel like when you've done everything that you can to have that vaginal birth that you wanted, and something happens that you don't get it then know that you've done everything possible and you did everything right. Um, and thank goodness there was another way for that baby to get out. Yeah. Thank goodness. And own that.